Are we ready? It's time to wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. While the church was sleeping, so much happened. Please be seated. I want you to listen very carefully. This is so important that I'm going to read you a statement that I prepared for the church this morning. Very important. And that is my role as pastor during this time of election. As we enter into this crucial election, it is very important that I clear up some thoughts concerning impacts emphasis on praying for the election. Many are bothered by any mention of the political climate in our nation, yet as pastor and leader of this church, I am first obligated to God to uphold His truth. As a Christian first and a pastor second, my priority is the Word of God. All that I do, all that I teach, all that I live must be in agreement with the Word of God to the very best of my ability. Any political affiliation, business involvements, and personal goals must fall behind my identity as first a Christian. And my priority of Christian first is what directs all of my direct life involvements. I spent many, many hours in the study of God's Word over the last 41 years of being a believer for the sole purpose of understanding the only absolute truth, and that is the Word of God. But I do believe that there is a great danger in our nation that would greatly harm the church and the people of this nation. There are many components in the political battle that is taking place in our our nation. We may disagree on some of those components, such as do we wear a mask or do we not wear a mask? How do we do the best? uh, How do we run best our economy? Do we build a wall or don't we build a wall? Do we discontinue production of our natural resources? And how do we view climate change and global warming? All these things we may disagree on. These are important, yet they're not what I call non-negotiables of God's Word. And when it comes to choosing a candidate, we cannot allow the less important things to carry weight over the more important non-negotiables that are in the Word of God. What are some of the non-negotiables? You've heard them from this pulpit for months. I just want to make it very clear where we stand, okay? The first is religious freedom that this nation was founded upon. I just ordered a set of DVDs called God in America. I would recommend every one of you get those DVDs. It's a download prime free. It talks about the founding fathers and how this nation was founded and the principles it was founded upon and, and that people gave their life blood for the religious freedom for this nation. But there is an effort by a political group to quieten the voice of the church and to control the truth that's coming out of the church. Any biblical truth that comes from the church and opposes the unbiblical worldview has been called hate speech and declared illegal. Pastors are being threatened with imprisonment and church members with fines for opening their churches. The second is the sanctity of life. And when the Bible clearly tells us that life begins from the moment of conception and that only God gives and takes away life. There is an effort by a political group to openly and unashamedly end any life deemed as inconvenient, even until the time of birth. Today, more than 60 million lives have been snuffed out by the demonic decrees that have been made legal by our government over the decades. Thirdly, there's a sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman. 
The Bible clearly defines marriage as between one man, one woman, and any other union is declared an abomination, and it brings a curse upon our land. And today, our children are being indoctrinated in classrooms by this demonic perversion and influence, and it's being presented as truth. These beliefs are demonic. These beliefs are fueled by demonic gods that are in our nation, and they have been embraced by groups of people, and unfortunately, even by some churches. As a believer in God, His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Word of God, I cannot support or tolerate any other view or group who espouses such views as these non-negotiable things. Those in today's Democratic Party have clearly drawn a line with these three non-negotiables, and as a church, we're required to stand for the truth. We will pray as we are told to pray. We will identify evil as we are instructed to identify evil, and we will stand with the Word of God. I, in 2016, I stood before you and said something similar, maybe not quite so descriptive. It's all about what the Word of God says about what we believe and what we, what we endorse in our nation. Joshua 24, Joshua stood before the people. And God told him, he said, I've given you lands you haven't worked on. I gave you towns you didn't build. And I gave you vineyards and groves for food, though you didn't eat them. And you, you, that you didn't even plan. I gave it to you. God has blessed us in this nation. He says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. We have to make a choice on whom we're serving in our nation. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Which gods are we serving? Are we bowing our knee to the god of perversion, of abortion, of homosexuality, of religious intolerance? These are, this is not God's word. But as for me and my family, as for me and my house, as for me and my church, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask Bill Birchfield if he will come and share some of the things that he shared last night with us during prayer. Thank you, Donna, for that stand. And you mentioned most everything I want to say. No. But welcome to Impact Church. Nine days from now, we'll have a national election, November 3rd. Are you excited? Good, good. I know many of you have already voted, and... um, But that will be the time that we make things official. Last night we had what I thought was a very lively time of prayer. Donna started off uh, mentioning a book by Kevin Zadai. He's a very anointed author and his, his writings are just revelation knowledge. And the title of it was Time to Take Our Country Back. And he had... 16 prayer points, and we prayed the first one last night, and it was against the apathy of the church. 
and for God to send a holy fire. And that's what we sang about this morning. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Why would we want that? Because God's fire is refining and it's purifying. It brings the dross to the surface. We scrape it off and God looks in that crucible at us and he sees a reflection of his son. So Lord, bring your refining fire. And just a example of the apathy of the church, apostolic or evangelical Christians. 30 million evangelical Christians did not vote last time. 15 million evangelical Christians are not registered to vote. That's 45 million votes. And you know the last election, some states were taken by 15, 20,000 votes is all. What a difference the church would make if we woke up and got about the Father's business. Yvette then last night shared an encounter she had with a friend about alternate lifestyles. And she was very wise in how she handled that. She did not give her friend her opinion. She gave her what's written in the Bible and what Donna has just stood for. There is absolute truth, and it's only found in the Bible. And that's the first challenge that the enemy makes. Did God really say, well, read the book and listen to him? And he did. And I want to share a book that I have read recently. And it's by Lance Walna, who's a very modern-day prophet. And it's God's Chaos Code. And uh, this book was supposed to be out a couple weeks ago, but for some mysterious reason, there were like 10,000 copies that didn't come about. But it is available now, and it was like the enemy's attempt to hold back truth again. But it relates what went on in the nation of Israel in the time of King Cyrus and Nehemiah and Ezra. And... uh, If you want to read something interesting later today, read Isaiah 45, the first seven verses. There are prophets who have said that Trump is Cyrus to our nation. Cyrus was a pagan king, but God used him mightily. And it's interesting, it's in Isaiah 45, and he's our 45th president. And so I am here to tell you how to vote. I think Donna already has. Um, And that's a little presumptuous. And I'm going to lean on what Paul said to a runaway slave, Philemon. He said, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Well, I'm obviously not the Apostle Paul, so I can't tell you what to do. But I can share with you my belief that there's only one way to vote in this election if you are a born-again, spirit-filled Christian following the will of the Lord. We've talked many times in impact about a line being drawn in the sand. There is no gray anymore. 
Okay, it is black and white. We are looking at a battle for the soul of our nation. And we go down one direction and we're fo- <clears throat> excuse me, fulfilling the schemes of Satan. And if we go down the other way, we are into revival and reformation, renewal of America to be the country God designed it to be. He has not given up us. us. He has a plan and a purpose for our nation. And, but it's up to the church through their prayer and their faith and their action to implement those plans. Donna mentioned socialism. That has never worked in any country has been tried, and it has destroyed everything that is touched. And the three great examples we have from history is Hitler in Germany, Stalin in Russia, and Mao in China. And the fruit of that was a hundred million people killed. Okay. So I, I've heard things from friends. Well, you know, I don't like this guy, the way he talks and the way he tweets and he lies. And this is just a, an election between the lesser of two evils. And, and that grieves my spirit to hear it. Um, because I don't want to stand before the judgment seat of God on the issue of abortion that we've just talked about. As I understand it, that has nothing to do with our salvation, but it has everything to do with how we lived our life. That's right. And the re- eternal rewards we were going to get. And how can you rationalize before the author of life that you voted for somebody that was willing to butcher babies in their mother's womb. And even after, if they survived the process, uh, just on that one issue alone, as we've talked about, and we could have a great revival in America and add 60 more evangelical Christians, but if we just sit in church, we'll be where we are now. We have to be discipled, and then we have to be disciples and go into the nations and disciple nations. That's the inheritance of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nations are people groups. So there's a people group in government. There's a people group in education. The seven mountains that influence society, religion, business, arts and entertainment, media. And we have to get people at the top of that So we influence culture and become light that we asked in our worship, let the light in. In him was life and the life was the light of man. And light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. That's from John 1. I want to read a couple things from the book. I don't know if you know the story of Billy Graham, but there was a group in Charlotte that had a tent meeting and they were praying for revival and great men to step up. And at this particular tent meeting, only one person came forward. And the leader of that was bemoaning the fact that that's the only success that they had. Well, that one person was Billy Graham. And we know what he did. And President Trump stood up at his memorial service 
And this was what he prayed. Like the faithful of Charlotte once did, today we we say a prayer for our country that all across this land, the Lord will raise up men and women like Billy Graham to spread a message of love and hope to every precious child of God. That was our president's prayer. And so I urge you to get out and vote. Get your friends out to vote and vote biblically. And there's only one choice, in my opinion. And let me tell you how important a vote is. First, I'll tell you what a vote is not. A vote is not a valentine. You aren't confessing your love for the candidate. It's a chess move for the world you want to live in. So I'm old enough, I'm going to be okay no matter what happens with this election. But I've got children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And I I want them to have a future and a destiny under a, a nation that is under God. And the Democratic Party at their last convention said the Pledge of Allegiance. But they left out under God. There is no place for Christians or Christian beliefs or Christian truth in that party. I'm sorry. It'll be persecuted, as Donna said in her stand. So this is what a vote is, according to Lance Walno. A vote is a spiritual act. Last, we must activate our faith and plant it like a seed. James exhorts us that faith without works is dead. This means that faith without corresponding action is impotent. If we are going to fight for the destiny of America, then we are going to need to take some sort of spiritual action. And that action is manifest when we vote for candidates that honor the policies that honor God. The reality is political issues are spiritual issues. There's nothing dirty or wrong about politics. We need to be involved. That's all of life. Never vote based on a party or a personality. It is remarkable how many Christians fail to discern political and cultural issues from a biblical perspective. Your vote is your amen and agreement in the earth. Never give your support to anyone based on looks, ethnicity, personality, or party. God says, do not judge by appearances. It is remarkable to hear Christians fumbling around because they don't like Trump's tone or tweets. Go beneath personality, past history, gender, skin color, or looks. Go deeper than following the herd and voting for the same political party as your family and friends. Don't be controlled by news cycles. Christianity obviously does not have control of the news media. Remember on the day Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, the devil had a louder group screaming outside. Always look first at the policies and the platform underneath the politician. 
discover the platform. And you can go on the internet many locations and get a comparison between the platforms of the two parties. When evaluating how to vote, you need to turn the rock over and see what's crawling around underneath. Start with biblical principles and sanctified common sense. Knowing God's word speaks to every political and policy issue we face. Many Christians choose not to vote because they don't think it will make a difference, especially if they live in states dominated by progressive ideology. What they fail to realize is that their vote means something. It is a seed they get to plant in the soil of America. It is a statement of faith. Would you decide not to pray for the lost at your job because so many unbelievers dominate your workplace? That would be madness. No matter who the candidate or what the legislation, your vote is a spiritual veto or authorization. Indecision is a decision not to decide. It's a decision to let an unbeliever, and that's the enemy's agenda, shape culture. A physical vote is a tangible declaration that says, regardless of the outcome, I am planting a seed for God's will to be done in America. And G.K. Chesterton said, I do not believe in a fate that falls on men, however they act. But I do believe in a fate that falls on them unless they act. It is time for the silent majority to make its voice known. So I'm not going to tell you how to vote. The Holy Spirit will if you allow him to lead you. But I'll tell you what I'm voting for. I'm voting for the right to praise my God. You look at the shutdowns of the church in California. They can't meet. They can't worship. You can't sing. You can't have a home Bible study group. That would include too many people. I'm voting for the Second Amendment. I'm voting for capitalism and the American dream. I'm voting for funding the police and for law and order. I'm voting for the military and the veterans who fought and died for this country. I'm voting to stop child sex trafficking. I'm voting for the freedom to worship in our churches. I'm voting for our country to be pro-Israel. I'm voting for the right to speak my opinion and not be censored. We're under that already. I'm voting for secure borders. I'm voting for every unborn life. I'm voting for our flag. I'm voting for good against evil. I'm voting for one nation under God. I'm voting for return to the biblical definition of marriage. I'm voting for return to God, prayer, and biblical values in all society. We must pray and we must vote. Thank you.
Thank you, Bill. Quiet. You know, there's a saying, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. We have to know what we stand for. And as for me, I'm standing for the Word of God. I'm standing for what the Word of God has to say. And we're going to be increasing our prayer times uh, for this for the next uh, week and a half. We're going to be uh, actually praying in the morning as we did before on our prayer conference call. I sent emails out to the church. If you didn't get that email, to get a pencil if you want to be a part of that. The number, the call-in number is 605-475-4057. And the access code is 294-623-POUND. So if you, we'd love for you to be a part of that. We're going to be praying for our nation. We're going to be praying for the church to wake up and the church to go get out and do what they need to do. And that is to vote and stand for the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of all these babies being slaughtered and that's what they are they're slaughtered i'm tired of perversion just slipping into our schools i'm tired of our kids being taught that that perversion is normal it's not normal it's it's demonic and i'm tired of that and we've got to put a stop to it and the only way we can put a stop we can pray and we can vote pray and vote amen thank you bill that was that was really good so uh, we'll be praying for the sick at the end of the service. So hang on if you're needing if you're needing prayer for for healing. But I want to begin. I just want to go into our message. I've taught a lot on deception through the years. So uh, you know you've heard it before. You've heard about, you've heard us teach on on deception. But I think in the day that we're in, there's never been a day like today. There's never been a day like today. And we, you know, the, the term fake news is pretty much a common word. Everybody knows fake news. We even use it referring to other things now. You know, that's fake news. Or, you know, somebody just telling a crazy joke or something. That's fake news. But we live in a great day or day of great deception. We live in a day of great deception. You know, and last week when I ministered on Joshua's rise, I think by almost all of the church came forward. I want to be a Joshua. I want to help bring out those Lazaruses. And if you were here in prayer last night, there's also the Corneliuses. I love that. Those are the ones that are, that are really are good people and they have a heart for God. They just need to be awakened. They need to see the vision. They need to, they've, they've seen God. They need somebody to, to help them to interpret and understand what the Word of God means. So we looked at that. But as believers and especially as Joshua's, we cannot have deception in our life. We have to avoid deception. And let me give you a definition of deception. It's an act or statement that misleads, it hides the truth, or promotes a belief, a concept, or an idea that is not true. It's not based on reality. So deception is a belief that we have that's not based on reality. And, you know, self-deception also, we can self-deceive ourselves, right? But usually any kind of deception has an ulterior motive or motivation to it. Any type of deception. You know, we might say that, oh, I failed the test because the teacher has it in for me. She doesn't like me. When the truth of the, and you might really believe that, but the truth of the matter is you didn't study. You didn't do your part, you know. Oh, I got a speeding ticket because I, you know, the the police didn't like me. He didn't like my car. Well, no, you were going faster than the speed limit. That's why you got a speeding ticket. We hear all these crazy excuses. And so we have to, we, we have to really examine ourselves and see if we are deceiving ourselves in some areas. And the only way we can know if we're deceiving ourselves is if we have a context in which to judge what we believe against. 
And that is the absolute truth of the word of God. And I've said it a hundred times, maybe a thousand times. What is it that you believe? You've got to decide what you believe. You've got to decide what you believe about the COVID-19 virus. We know it's a reality, right? If you were here last Sunday, I sent you an email. There was a, there's a positive case in our church. And that's probably why a lot of the people are normally here aren't here today. And that's okay. That's okay. But let me tell you, you got to decide what you believe, but you also have to, you have to be, lead a balanced life. You have to, you have to, you have to take care of yourselves, right? We want to do that. We want to do what we know to do. We want to boost our immune system and stay healthy and not, you know, not just be foolish and thinking, well, I could walk into a, a, a den of bees and not get stung. No, you're probably going to get stung. So use wisdom, right? But we do all we know to do. And then God protects us. We don't walk around in fear. That's for sure. We don't walk around in fear. But, you know, we can even justify our sins. We can even justify our sins. And we talked about a few of those sins, the sin of abortion. Well, it's not a real human being. Well, who told you that? Science says it is. Before you ever know you've got a fetus, there's a heartbeat and a brainwave before you ever know it. Right? And God talks about knowing us in our mother's womb. Hebrews eleven twenty five talks about fleeting pleasures of sin, how they're just, you know, they're just passing moments of pleasure, and that's all it is, and it's sin. But we've been deceived into believing that same-sex unions are okay, when the Bible clearly says it's an abomination. It's very clear in the Scripture. And he also says that it will curse our land or bring a curse upon our land. We don't, when we're not against anyone, we're all for loving God. We say we want people to wake up to truth. And when people ask me about especially homosexuality, I say, that's not God's best for you. And I, this is what the word of God says. That's not God's best for you. God designed the best, right? He said it was good. But as people who will be calling out those who are in darkness, we ourselves must not be walking in darkness. How can people in darkness lead people into the light? How can the blind lead the blind? They're both going to stumble, right? So we have to avoid deception by knowing the truth. So as people of God and as people who love God, you have to be willing to get into the word of God and know the truth for yourself. Find the truth for yourself. John eight thirty two says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You know, unfortunately, we just had the Pope put his stamp of approval on same-sex unions. That's deception. And I've heard that there are a lot of Catholic priests rising up against that because they know what the Word of God says. You've got to get those at the top if you want your culture to change. But Jesus warned against deception. In Matthew 16, 5 and 6 and over in 11, 12, he says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. How is it that you... And then verse 11, they thought he was talking about we didn't bring bread. Jesus, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood what that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And in Mark eight fifteen, it says, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So what does Jesus say? He said, watch out for the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and and Herod. We're going to talk about what that really represents. But he he was talking about leaven of three groups. But first of all, let's talk about leaven. What is leaven? Let's think about something natural, okay? We know leaven is yeast, right? It's used in bread. 
So it's, it's something that is used in bread. And what it does, there's a chemical process that takes place. It converts starch to sugar, sugar to alcohol, releases carbon dioxide. That's what causes your bread to, to rise. And that's a little science lesson, okay? That's all we're going to get. So, But if you take a small amount of that, it only takes a small amount to raise an entire loaf. See, that's what Jesus, he's using these parallels so we can understand. It only takes a small amount to raise an entire loaf. And the conditions have to be right for the process to work. We have to understand this. Even the leaven of sin that's in our nation, the conditions have to be ripe in the church for that to work, for that to be able to cause an effect and an influence. And it also takes time to process it's not going to happen overnight. If you go back and you study the decades, you're going to see how there's been a slow infiltration. The devil's very patient. He's very patient. He'll slip a little here. He'll slip a little there. Slip a little here until he's got a whole church that's asleep. Right? Yeast itself can be undetected visibly in the bread before, during, and after the process. Only the effects are visible. Only the effects are visible. Very important. We're going to draw some spiritual parallels. And there's a thing called a starter loaf. Anybody familiar with that? A starter loaf is a portion of the old that's used to influence the new loaf of bread. These are Joshua's. All you Joshua's are starter loaves. Okay? What you are called to do is you're a portion of the old that's called to, to influence the new. That's what you're called to do. So, so we know in just, if we look at the Oxford Dictionary, it says leaven is a pervasive influence that modifies something or transforms it into something else. So the purpose of leaven in a natural sense is to alter and to transform something. It's to alter and transform something. And so if we look at the spiritual leaven, and we'll see in scripture, the Bible talks a lot about spiritual leaven. And it says it's something that penetrates and changes at a deep level, just like the yeast in the bread does. It's something that penetrates and changes at a deep level. And it's, some, it's a very powerful influence, but it can be good or bad. And typically we look at leaven in scriptures being sinful, but that's not always referred to as being sinful in the Bible. In uh, Matthew 33, 3, he says he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So the, the kingdom of heaven can be leavened in this earth. It can work and it can it can transform and it can change. So leaven is not always evil. But it can be bad. In Galatians 5, 7, and 9, he says, you were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, this influence is not from him who calls you a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. So leaven can be good or bad, sinful or righteous. And we know that people, family, and nations can be changed in either direction, good or evil, by the seed of sin or the seed of faith. One or the other. The seed of sin or the seed of faith. What is working in you? What kind of leaven do you have working in your family structure? What do you have working in your employment or your business? So you can't allow one little seed of sinful leaven to be spread in your family or in your business or in your church. We don't tolerate it. We can't tolerate gossip and backbiting and strife. That's leaven. It'll it'll tear up a church. It'll tear up a church. But we see great revivals. As, you know, we talk a lot about the Welsh revival, and, and bars were closed. Police, the, the unemployment, not the unemployment, but the crime got so low that the police were unemployed. Isn't wouldn't that be wonderful? Back when John G. Lake was living, I, I believe in Spokane, they said so many people got healed that they were closing hospitals. 
Why? Because a seed of faith was infused into the people and it began to work. And it may have been very quiet and maybe unknown, but what did it do? It caused an, an influence that was very visible. And that's what we have to do in our nation today. And what we're seeing in the nation today with the, the abortion and the gay agenda and all this is simply stuff that was sown many, many years ago that has taken its time and it has slowly, slowly created an influence. We didn't just get up one morning and all this was here, by the way. We didn't just get up and, you know, suddenly 60 million babies are gone. Or we didn't just get up and they're infiltrating our school with a doctrine of perversion. We didn't just get up and do that. So the problem with deception is simply that it deceives. The problem with deception is that it deceives and people genuinely believe deception. But it's based on something that's not reality. It's based on something that's not truth. In Matthew 24, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. That word leads you astray in the Greek, that's a little phrase that means to wander from the truth. See that no one causes you to wander from the truth. What what was said in Galatians? What did Paul say in Galatians? Who has caused you to, who has hindered you from obeying the truth? Who has caused you to wander away from the truth? And it says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will, that will lead many astray. But you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And then in verse 24, it says, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, whom? Even the elect. Even the elect. And so to lead astray means, as I said, to wander from truth. It's deception. It's pulling someone away from the truth to believe something other than the truth. To pull them away from the truth. Why do we have, what was it, 80-something percent or whatever it was of of the uh, millennials leaving the church? Because what? Some, Some influence pulled them away from the truth that had been planted in their hearts because they believe and they're being deceived. It's to cause someone to hold a wrong view. It's to cause what is false to appear real. It's to twist one's thoughts. It's to dig away at the truth. It's the introduction of the counterfeit. That's what deception is. It's an act or statement which misleads. It hides the truth. It promotes a belief, a concept, or an idea that is not true. And it's usually done for personal gain, usually. I think it's always done for personal gain. And so even with self-deception, it can, we want to deceive ourselves in order that we might get something we're wanting, whether it's that sin for a season or some kind of benefit that we might get. Well, it's just inconvenient to have a baby at this time. You should have thought about that before you had sex that caused the baby, right? There's so many different ways to prevent this in, in the society that we live in. We're just going to tell it like it is, right? You know, people want to say, well, I'm just, I wasn't ready to be a daddy. Well, you were ready to lay down with somebody and greet a baby. You know, you need to think twice about this. If you don't know how to do that, come to me. I'll be happy to give you the lessons in biology and what causes that. But we've got to get serious about this and quit playing games with ourselves. But there's a motivation for deceivers. And Second Peter clearly, he clearly brings it out. He says, but there were so also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false prophets among you or teachers. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. What the Pope said was a clever, cleverly taught heresy. There's not a Pope before him that has said that same-sex union is, is, is honored with God. Not a one before him. And then it says, they will even deny the master. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. 
And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. We're looking for a following. We're looking for support. We're looking for votes. We're looking for whatever. You know, what if I can bring all these people in from other nations and they can get in my voter base, then I'm going to get my election, you know. That's what's going on. Where I can, you know, we make all these promises. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. Very clever and they're skilled at their approach to bring about a desired result. That's what clever teaching is. Very skilled at their approach to bring about a desired result. Immorality is a key motivator for those being deceived. I can live any way I want to live. I can do anything I want to do. I can have sex anytime I want to have sex. If I get pregnant, I just abort it. I had somebody tell me, well, I'm going to get married. If it doesn't work, I'll just divorce them. Oh, well, you know what? They got divorced because you went into the thing with the, with the whole plan of, well, you know, I've got this, I've got this safety net. If I don't like them, I'll just get rid of them. See, that's not God's word. Colossians 2, 4 says, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Remember, the Lazaruses you will encounter have been exposed to all of this. We, can, we have to be a light shining so brightly. We have to so much fire inside of us that it, it just, just a glance is going to burn away all the lies and all the deception that these Lazaruses have been indoctrinated with, that their minds have been influenced with. They've been convinced by clever teachers that their immorality is acceptable. They've been convinced that their addictions can't be conquered. And they've been convinced that their life can't get any better. Why? Because they believed a lie. And the only truth is God's word. Who is the source of all this, by the way? Satan, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan and all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love truth and be saved. They refuse to love truth and be saved. 1st Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and what? Teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Satan uses people. And he's used people in the past. He's using people today. There's all kinds of false signs and wonders. People run after false signs and wonders. What are they looking for? They're looking for something that they're not willing to pay the price for the glory of God in their own lives. They're not willing to get down on their face and worship God and get into the word. They appear to be supernatural. So we think everything's supernatural is of God. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible clearly says to us that we have authority over all the supernatural miracle working powers of the enemy. Luke 10, 19. It clearly tells us that. And, and, you know, we're told to test the spirits. First John 4 tells us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're of God or not. How do we know if they're of God? Do they agree with his word primarily? Right? Do they agree with the word of God? you got somebody that's trying to convince you that they know what's best for you and they're violating every everything that's in the Word of God. You better run from them. You better run from them. Uh, yeah, I had a, a... I will tell this. I wasn't going to tell it, but I will tell it. You know, we're telling everything anyway. Might as well tell this. <laughs> we went this week and I ran into somebody that we know who's of the, who, is, who is in the, the Democratic Party. And I respect this person. And, of course, she said, you don't vote for me. And we said, sorry, we can't. Why? I said, because you're going to have a lot of influence in the curriculum that goes into our school. And your party is supporting the the trans and the gay agenda curriculum 
to, in, to indoctrinate our children that this is a normal lifestyle. Oh, I don't believe that. I said, but you represent me and your party believes it. And, she, and, and, went on. and I was beginning to go, well, maybe, maybe it's okay because I really respect this person. And I also think an African-American should be on the school board. I really do because a large portion of our, our community is African-American. I really believe that. And I looked and tried and tried and tried. And so I said, well, she said, my husband's independent. My son's independent. She said, but I was just born into it. So that's why I'm Democrat. And I, I thought, oh, wow. If you hadn't have said that, I was really considering it. But that's telling me. And I said, then, so what's to keep you from being influenced by this persuasion that's coming that's going to persuade our children that this is a normal lifestyle? Oh, I would never do that. I said, I'm sorry, I can't trust that. If you don't have the gumption to leave a party that stands for everything that you don't believe in, how can I believe that you're going to support my views? How can I believe that you really care about our children? And we hugged and we left. You know, and you know, you can love people and you can respect people, but I can't, I mean, we have to stand for what is truth. We have to stand for what is truth. And these are, and I said, unfortunately, there's a lot of good people who are shooting themselves in the foot because of the affiliations that they make. I really believe that good people. So we have to be, we have to be careful, but did I read first Timothy four? Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from truth by devoting themselves to, yes, teaching of doctrines and deceitful spirits. We have to be careful. Target Demons will target certain people to deceive them. They will. Who do they target? Let's see if you qualify, okay? Or you qualify on the Internet. These are, this is from Derek Prince, Protection from Deception. He says there's five basic characteristics that demons target for deception. Number one, do you rely on subjective impressions and emotions? In other words, is it all about my emotions? Well, they prophesied and I felt good about it, so therefore it must be true. Well, if it doesn't agree with the word and God's never spoken it to you, you better run from that. Impressions that are formed from emotions are into, I just felt like it. I sense this. You have to be careful. Is it is your intuition and are your emotions based on the word of God? You have to remember, many people are going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Many people will tell you what they think you want to hear. And I love what Naomi says. She don't ever let a prophet come into your church and prophesy to you as the lead pastor in front of the congregation because you never know their motivation. So we put a stop to that because there was always, you know, you're going into the nations, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. I'm thinking, well, God hadn't told me that. You know, God, what about what God's telling me, right? But they, sometimes they think you want to hear it. So the focus of the prophets is to turn people back to God as Jeremiah and Ezekiel did. And to warn the people. That's the purpose of a prophet. It's not to make you feel good and give you goosebumps and warm and fuzzy feelings. A real prophet's going to make you uncomfortable. Right? A real prophet will. Like you are today, probably. Number two. Those who are prone for deception tend to have blind trust in human beings. They trust anyone, maybe because of their name or because they have a title in front of them. They just have blind trust. And they don't have any confidence in their own personal relationship with God. They'll trust somebody that's got a doctorate in front of their name or a pastor in front of their name when the word of God may not mean, may not even be coming out of their lips. You got to know what it says. I've told you my story when I was at Catawba and, and my professor was a doctor of New Testament and he proceeded to tell us that before he was enlightened, he used to believe all those fairy tales about Noah's Ark and Eden and Garden of Eden and all that. 
And so we had a little conversation about that, like a two-hour conversation afterwards. And, you know, I dropped the class because I wasn't going to sit under that junk. But I did say to him, I got the chance to say, you don't have the right to tell these impressionable minds what you believe when you've got the word of God that you're trying to promote. You've got to give them both sides if you're really going to be fair. So blind trust. Number three, accepting supernatural signs as a guarantee of truth. Satan is very capable of supernatural signs and wonders. And people run around chasing signs, run around chasing this and run around chasing that. You know, I, I think I told you there was a lady came in. Have you seen the gold dust? I said, I'm not looking for gold dust. We're looking for God. And this woman would look like she was a mess. I, and she said, oh, I was so blessed by it. And I had to say, well, how were you blessed? What were you like before you saw the gold dust? I mean, she could hardly walk. She was, you know, just, it was pitiful. I'm not making fun of her, but it was pitiful. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking if God's present, he's going to heal you. Right? God's presence doesn't just entice us with a carrot in front of our nose. Right? Doesn't do that. So we accept any kind of supernatural sign and wonder as coming from God. And as I said, 1 John 4, 16 says, try the spirits. 1 Thessalonians says, test all things. 2 Corinthians identifies our false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. We've got to be ready. We've got to know what the word of God says. So number four, they refuse suffering or persecution and believe that only good things will happen. Only good things will happen. This was a distortion of a very true move called the word of faith, which is a very true move of God. But it got distorted, right? And I believe, if I remember, Kenneth Hagin, just before he died, was writing, wrote a book to warn the pastors about some of the deception they had fallen into and away from that true move of God. There's always a distortion of every true move of God, by the way. But that movement was a springboard for what was to come. It was an emphasis on the power and the truth of the word of God. So we, 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 uh, you know, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered, right? You think, you know, do you think he had an easy way? He was hung on the cross. He was beaten beyond human recognition. The apostles all died except for John by martyr. Was it Peter that was hung upside down on the cross because he didn't think himself worthy? Some of them were sewn in two, boiled in oil. You know, and we say, well, you know, they must not have been in faith. No, they were in faith. They were, they were serving God and they were, they were willing, you know, even being beaten, they were, they counted themselves, they were rejoicing that I could be worthy of being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And we don't want to do any of that. We don't want anybody mad at us. So let's just not teach that. Let's not talk about that. I don't want anybody to get mad at me. I don't want anybody to get upset with me. You know, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. Number five is ignorance of scripture. Ignorance of scripture. We have to know the truth. It's knowledge of the truth and application of the truth is what sets us free. What did we read last week about Joshua? What did the Lord tell Joshua? He said, you put the word in your mouth. You never let it leave your mouth. You meditate, you mutter, you speak it. The word of God, it says, then you're going to have success. Then you're going to be prosperous in everything that you do. Then you're going to take every place that your foot steps on because I've already given it to you. So that's the promise. Those are the, those are things that, that's the promise of God, but we have to be aware of, of, of characteristics in our own life that might make us prone for deception. Being born into a church or a political party doesn't mean that you always follow that. If that party has left it, you know, some of the parties aren't even the same as they were 50 years ago. Things change and you can't, some of the churches aren't the same as they were 50 years ago. Say, well, I'm born this, I'm going to stay this. Well, if that church or that party has left the word of God, the will of God, you better leave, you better leave the party in the church, right? We've got to understand this. It's not about a party. It's about biblical principles. 
It's what it's about. It's about biblical principles and serving God. Okay, here comes your four points. Every teacher has points. Four points for overcoming the spirit of deception. Number one, you got to know whose you are. You've got to know whose you are. You've got to know that you're a son of God now. You are a son of God now. How do you know? Number one, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. Coming to a church does not make you a Christian, right? Coming to a church does not make you. I go into a dog park. That doesn't mean I'm a dog, right? No. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. We take our dogs to the dog park. They're dogs. We're not. We're people. We got to know who we are. We walk in that authority. But you got to be born again. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, until you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom. This is the problem. We talked about this last night. Salvation is the door. Too often what the church has done is we get them saved, but we never make disciples. And this is why the, the nation's in the mess it's in. People are coming. They have this one-time experience with Jesus. Now, oh, I'm good now. I'm going to the church. My name's on the list. I'm there every Sunday, but I'm living like the devil all week. Why? Nothing has been changed inside of us to make us disciples of Christ. We've got to become, you've got to be born again first to see the kingdom of God, and then you've got to be discipled. Yet we have to learn obedience through the things that we suffer. What does that mean? I'm not talking about sickness and having car. I'm talking about denying the flesh. Jesus denied the flesh. Don't think because you're sick you're suffering for Christ. No, you're not suffering. God says, I'm the Lord God who heals you, right? No, but if you, but if you, if you got a sinful attitude or an addiction or a habit or whatever that needs to be broken, that's what you're pushing against the, you're going to have victory over the flesh. So you may have to deny yourself. We've been denying ourselves for these 40 days, right? Some of us have. Some of us have been slipping in there up and down, but we've, we've been, we've been making some progress. I told the Lord one day, I said, God, gosh, Lord, I really missed it yesterday. That chocolate peanut butter pie we had in Boone. Whew. And you know what he said? Today's a new day. Today's a new day, right? So anyway, so we have to have relationship with God. See, once you get born again, you got to have relationship. That means you're seeking him. You know, it says those who receive Christ have been given the right, the authority to be called a child of God. So what do you do? You don't have, you don't get born and never want to talk to your mom and dad, do you? No. No, so you don't get born again and not want to talk to God, not want to be with God, be with God's people. See, and that's, you know, this thing about closing the churches, we believe in taking precaution, but let me tell you, when you close the church, there's much more to it than just precaution. Everybody that can see, has eyes to see, knows this. There's much more to it. It's, it's, It's that subtle, remember, it's that subtle leaven, that subtle yeast that's working, trying to influence the church to shut down and not, and even if they can't shut you down, they're going to control what you say. That's what it's all about. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We have to also learn how to hear God's voice. John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. How do you, let me tell you, you say, I don't hear from God, then you're not in the Word. Because the Word is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The more you read the Word, the more you're going to hear His voice. It's that sweet voice. It's that sweet voice that's going to say, it's okay, today's a new day. Or is that sweet voice is going to give you a scripture when you get up in the morning? Or that sweet voice is going to wake you up and say, pray for so-and-so. It's that sweet voice of God that you get so familiar with. So number one, you got to know whose you are, that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. And you got to start acting like it, walking like it. Don't wait until you're out of your mess. you got to know who you are to get out of your mess, right? 
As soon as you get born again, you're there, man. And you start walking like you're there. And then people want to bring up something. I don't know. I just know I'm a child of God and he's promised. It may not look good to you, but I'm telling you, I see the other side. I see, I walk by faith, not by what I see. I might be struggling with this addiction, but let me tell you, God says he's going to set me free. I might not have any money in the bank, but let me tell you, God says he supplies all of my needs. I might be going to the doctor getting all these treatments, but my God says he's my healer. So ever how he chooses to heal me, I'm okay with that, right? But I'm seeing the end and not the problem. I'm seeing the promise and not the problem. That's what we have to learn to do. Number two, you have to develop a love for the truth, for God's word. You have to develop a love for God's word. John 17, 17 says, my word is truth. My word is truth. Do you believe that? I don't mean intellectually. I mean, do you believe it here? There's a lot of intellectual Christians that don't even have relationship with God. We've done a great job of teaching intellectually in churches, but we have not done a great job of teaching people how to have a relationship with God. And so we grow up quoting scripture and quoting little Bible verses and singing these sweet little songs. That's wonderful. I believe in all that. But what we have to do is we have to learn then to get it out of our head and into our heart to where it shapes every thought and every idea and every decision we make is shaped by the word of God that's inside of us. So we have to have that relationship. Psalm 119, 160 says the sum of his word is truth and it's eternal. The sum of his word is truth. Psalm 119.9, the word keeps our ways pure. Acts 17.11. Now these Jews were more, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. Who was telling me? Somebody told me this week. Somebody told me this. forgot who it was. Maybe it was Bill. I don't know. Somebody told me that only 3% of people who call them... Oh, no, it was another friend of mine. Only 3% of people who call themselves Christians read their Bible more than once or twice a month. Only 3%. Well, I can believe that based on what we see in our nation because about 78% of the people in our nation say I'm a Christian, but yet they're supporting abortion, they're supporting homosexuality, they're supporting perversion, there's you know anything that's evil, they're living together when they shouldn't be living together, they're doing everything the Word of God says not to do. And yet say, I'm a believer and I love God. They just don't know. They're good people. They don't know. They just don't know the truth. I want to also, this was just an afterthought. Don't be afraid of tradition. You know, we've, we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Don't be afraid of tradition, but don't let tradition overrule scripture. Don't let tradition overrule scripture. It can be a valuable guide, but it should not void out the word of truth. Let me just read a couple of things to you about tradition. Uh, there's a book I'm also reading called God and Your Brain. I think his name is Malcolm maybe Dr. Malcolm, but anyway, he talks about the importance of ritual and tradition and how it actually rewires the circuits of your brain for you to follow in a certain pathway is good for you. In any words, this is by uh, J.I. Packer. Uh, This was from his book, Upholding the Unity of Scripture Today. It says, Tradition is the fruit of the Spirit's teaching activity from the ages as God's people have sought an understanding of Scripture. Why do you think God had the people going through all the feasts? And all the rituals, it was to get implanted into them the importance of the word of God. And also through that ritual, through that tradition, they had relationship or learned how to develop a relationship. Packer says it's not infallible, but neither is it negligible. And we impoverish impoverish ourselves if we disregard it. R.C. Sproul says, although tradition does not rule our interpretation, it does guide it. 
If upon reading a particular passage, you've come up with an interpretation that has escaped the notice of every other Christian for 2,000 years or has been championed by universally recognized heretics, chances are pretty good that you get better abandon the interpretation. What are they saying? They're saying if all of a sudden there's this new idea, new interpretation of Scripture, and they're saying, oh, God just told me this. You know, uh, this is this is an argument I got into with a with person supporting homosexuality. Oh, no, that's all been misinterpreted. I said, you mean through all these years? Through all these years, nobody until now was able to understand what this scripture says until now. And it's promoting an agenda that's anti-God. See, so tradition, you, we, we want to be careful about making sure that our traditions are biblical. But if someone comes up with a tradition that's been ignored or un, not uncovered through the years, I would, I would certainly go into research over it. Spurgeon says, it seems odd that certain men who talk so much of what the Holy Spirit reveals to themselves should think so little of what he's revealed to others. Men who talk so much of what the Holy Spirit has revealed to themselves should think so little of what they have, he has revealed to others. This new doctrine. See, not all new doctrine is doctrine. Sometimes it's deception. Number three. We must be accountable, accountable for our personal Bible interpretation. Very important. Second Peter says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture can come from someone's own interpretation. See, we don't interpret it in the context of what's going on in culture. We, deter- we, we interpret it in context of what the rest of the Bible has to say. You never just pull one thing out and put it in the context of what's going on. Well, everybody's doing this, so it must be okay. No. What does the Word of God say from Genesis to Revelation? No scripture is ever interpreted standing on its own either. You have to have at least one other scripture to interpret it in the, in the light of. Second Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That first part in another translation says, study to show yourself approved. That's work, isn't it? Study to show yourself approved. Study yourself, sit under good teaching, sit under good teachers, know who you're listening to. And learn what the Word of God has to say. Second Peter 3.16, speaking as this, as he does in all of his letters, there are some things in those epistles of Paul that are difficult to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist and misconstrue to their own utter destruction, just as they distort and misinterpret the rest of the Scriptures. What they say, we're pulling and twisting Scriptures to meet our own need and our own opinion, our own worldview. Our own, you know, when they were trying to end slavery, the church that was for slavery was giving scriptures and the church that was born again that said, this is not God's will was giving scriptures. So they were promoting it and supporting it with scripture and not supporting it with scripture. Things can be twisted. We have to study. And finally, number four, we have to pray for discernment. We have to pray for discernment. God, give us a discerning spirit. First Corinthians twelve ten. Lord, I ask for this. I ask for that all the time. God, help me to see. I want to know what you're saying. I want to know. If I meet someone new, I ask God, and I pray this. God, show me what you want me to see. Let me hear what you want me to hear. Let me let me sense the spirit and the and the, and the, the truth of who they really are, or what they're really saying to me. Whether it's just somebody asking for help or whatever it might be. But we need to pray for discerning of spirits. First John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We read that Matthew 24, 5. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Many will come saying I'm a prophet, I'm a teacher, I'm an apostle, I'm this, I'm that. Listen to what I'm having to say and in the meantime send me 20 bucks a month and we'll, you know, you'll get what you want. See, this is the kind of stuff that goes on today. Many are coming to deceive. 
2 Corinthians 4, 4, For the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' mind that they should not discern the truth. The God of this world. And that's how we pray. God, we just pray. We take authority over the God of this world who has blinded people. And some of you may have family members, you know, that children, grandchildren. You know, Bill said it. He said, you know, his age, at our, at my age, you know, I'm probably going to make it okay through this next election. But let me tell you, I have grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are coming that I'm concerned about for this nation. I'm really concerned about for this nation. What are we giving to them? What are we handing off to them? We're handing off chaos is what we're handing off. But it's time to pray and to seek God. And we pray that the devil will release though. We, we command the devil to release our family members who are blinded by truth. Let's stand if you will. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I know this was a lot. I probably, I felt like I was feeding you from a fire hydrant. The notes are up on the podcast. Please get them. All the scriptures are up there. It's very important, as all of you that said, I want to be a Joshua in this, this day that we're in. It's very important that we not be deceived ourselves. And I don't care what position you have in life. Even as pastor, I examine my heart all the time. As much as I spend in the Word, I examine my heart. God, am I seeing this right? Just like that lady that I met. God, am I seeing it right? I don't want to be prejudiced. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to just have an opinion, you know, based on an affiliation. And the Lord just allowed her to say one thing that sealed the deal for me. And I pray that God will lift her, the blinders off of her eyes to see. But see, if we don't have conversation with people, who's going to tell them truth? If we're afraid, oh, I don't want to say anything, it might hurt their feelings. Hurt their feelings, right? But you do it in love. Paul says we speak the truth in love. He didn't say you don't speak the truth. He says you speak it in love. You speak it in care. You speak it in concern. I was telling the guys last night, my Lazaruses are on fire, let me tell you. My Lazarus is on fire. I, I can't believe what I hear every week when I get with them. They just drop some. One guy just told me Tuesday, he said, you know, I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. I'm thinking, what's that got to do with what we're talking about? But I'm, I'm just thanking God under my breath. You know, thanking God under my breath. So, you know, pray for your Lazaruses. Pray that God's going to divinely connect you to those that maybe only you can reach at this point in time. Pray that God will send forth those laborers, those qualified laborers that will love them more than they, in the, you know, just because we don't like how they look or how what they've done in the past. Has any of us got a clean slate that we, not too many, not too many that I know of. I don't know any as a matter of fact. You know, the thing I always think, if God came to me at the pitiful state that I was in 41 years ago, and it was pitiful. He had to come to me in dreams because I don't think any of my family was even believers, but maybe one. But see, it took God to come to me in the mess I was in. And just like that, he brought, this is why I love God. I love his word. His word is truth and his word will bring deliverance. His word will set you free. But now we got to take that word out. Only 2% of the people stand behind a pulpit. 98% are out in the marketplace. We got to remember this. Touch people who are hurting. Touch people who are bound. Touch people who are dirty. We don't care what they look like. We just love them. Right? Yes, right. Father, we just thank you for today. God, we're so, just so appreciate your presence. We appreciate your word. God, I pray that every one of us will have 
a spirit of discernment, an anointing from you, Father God, to properly discern. I'm not talking about spirits of suspicion. I'm not talking about being fruit inspectors. I'm talking about a true spirit of discernment, Father God. And God, that we can hear your voice and we can move as you say move. We can speak what you want us to speak. Father God, that we will love the unlovable, that those the others have thrown away, God, those are the ones we want to love. God, we care about people because you care about people. I thank you for the believers that are rising up and they're standing by the word. I thank you, Father God, for those who are saying no to abortion and no to the gay agenda and, and no to religious and not having religious freedom, Father. I thank you for those who are saying no to sex trafficking because it's so lucrative. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for those. God, I pray for strength in the body. Lord, that we will stand strong, uncompromisingly righteous in your sight, Lord. That our hearts will be on fire for you. God, and when we meet our Lazaruses, when we meet our Corneliuses, Lord, we're going to have so much fire burning in our bosom, Lord, they can't even get close without feeling your presence. Father, that the Holy Spirit conviction will fall upon them and they'll say, I just need what you have. I want what you have. I need the peace that you have. God, help us, Lord, to be representatives and ambassadors for you. God, we want our fruit to remain. Thank you, Father. Lord, we bless and thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to lift up some in prayer today. And as Joe, I guess he's downstairs. You know, Joe got his grandbaby last week. Little Oakley Dale, he's coming home today. They're excited. He's a beautiful baby. So we thank, we thank God for that. We thank God for that. And we thank God that even though it was a little bit of a, you know, touch and go, God brought him through, didn't he? Because a lot of people were praying. We thank you, Father, for it. Now, if you have any prayer need at all this morning, I want you to come to the front. And we're going to pray over you. We're not, I'm just going to pray over you today. I'm not going to anoint. I'm just going to pray over you because the Holy Spirit is here. God is, God's presence is here to heal. His presence is here to heal. God is so good. Hey, Richard. Okay. God's presence is here to provide. You know, whether your need is physical, emotional, financial, whatever it might be, God is always present. God is always eager to meet the need of the body. might be relational. So, Father, you see these standing here before you, Father God. And I just pray and I thank you, God, that you said I'm the Lord God who heals all their diseases, all their sicknesses, all their lacks. Father, we thank you, God, that you're here to hear, heal all of those needs. Father, I thank you for Richard, whatever's going on in his life, Father, that you touch him, Father, that you bring total, complete restoration and healing. For Ron and Duke, whatever might be their need, God, you're the Lord God who withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. God, I thank you for that. And we declare life, health, wholeness, prosperity. You said you came to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. God, we claim that we receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we also lift up Joe Smith, who's sick in ICU. For Becky Hammond, who needs healing, and she'll be going through some treatments and surgery. For Gary, Lord, for Gary um, Bradshaw and Gary Mouton, both, Lord, who have some physical issues going on in their body. Father, we thank you that the distance is not anything with you, Father God. You can send your word and bring healing. We ask you, Lord to visit each one of these that we've called by name. For John Hammett, Lord, everyone that we call by name, God, that you would visit them with your word. You would visit them with your word, Father, and you would restore health and wholeness to them. 
my friend Gina, Lord, who's going through breast cancer, God, that you would visit her with your word. And God, stir up that faith in every one of these, these precious saints. They're all saints of God. God, they love you. Lord, I pray that you would remove any blinders the enemy's putting on them concerning your will and your desire to heal them, Father. Any lie that the enemy, any deception they're believing, that you are allowing this, Lord. That's, you, don't, you don't allow anything, God. You gave man a choice, and we had the choice to come to you for our healing. So, God, I pray you'll stir up within them a mighty, just a, a word of faith inside of their hearts. And, Lord, bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And I pray blessing upon every person here, those that aren't here, Lord, that are normally here. I pray for your blessing to reside upon them. I pray your face will shine upon them. The great favor would go with them. I thank you, God, that you open doors no man can open. You close doors that need to be closed. We, We just celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Have a wonderful week. Wonderful week.